Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. You know, just this week I've been reading, if you read the Australian newspaper, in this weekend's Australian newspaper, there's a fascinating article, a review in fact, at Nick Cave's new book called Faith, Hope and Carnage, which is probably not too bad for Nick Cave. You know, that notable Australian singer, songwriter, poet, literist, author, screenwriter, composer and occasional actor who in 2017 was entered in, was, became an, a member of the Order of Australia. I mean, a lot of us probably in this room are not particularly absolutely enamoured with his work uh, over time, but we've certainly been aware of it. What struck me as I read this review of his book is just his own journey of trying to come to some sense of making sense out of contemporary culture. He says this, I'm particularly fascinated with the Bible and particularly with the life of Jesus. It's had a powerful influence on my work one way or another right from the start. So back in my wilder days, uh, when you, well, the, the, uh, the commentator says, back in your wilder days when you drew on biblical imagery in your songwriting, was that also a reflection of a deeper interest in the divine? He says, well, I was surrounded by people who displayed zero interest in spirituality or religious matters. Or if they did, it was because they were fiercely anti-religious. I was operating in a godless world, so there was no nurturing of those ideas. But I was always struggling with the notion of God and simultaneously feeling a need to believe in something. He reflects, I guess, where we are today in our world today. There's a sense of it's not kind of in to believe, but yet I've got this deep yearning to recognise that there's almost a, an eternal perspective about me that current contemporary philosophy doesn't answer. So I'm left in this quandary. And so Nick Cave goes on to talk about that. He said, I was struggling with addiction. I always felt delirious for, for those who had a religious dimension in their lives. I had a kind of spiritual envy, a longing for belief in the face of the impossibility of belief that addressed a fundamental emptiness in me. There was always a yearning. I think of late I've grown increasingly impatient with my own scepticism. It feels obtuse and counterproductive, something that is simply standing in the way of a better lived life. I feel it'd be good for me to get beyond it. I think I'd be happier if I stopped window shopping and just step through the door. That's what Augustine did. He stepped through the door. When he heard that, that kind of that children's rhyme that he thought was take and read, take and read. He'd been attracted to go, he's in Milan, as the fellows reminded us, he's attracted by the Bishop of Milan, a fellow named Ambrose. He was attracted to him because Ambrose had been also a noted philosopher, rhetoric, a man of, of great intellectual calibre, who surprisingly had committed his life to Christ, which sort of just sent ripples through the, the intellectual group of Milan of that day. How come a man who we saw with such intellectual capacity actually buys into this Jesus stuff? And so Augustine is attracted to hear Ambrose because of that. And as he starts to listen to Ambrose, much at his mother's encouragement, of course, he, uh, he starts to open himself up to the possibility that there's an eternal God, not only created him, but loves him. And so now it's in this garden uh, where he is now encouraged to take up and read, 
and he just says, in a sense, I've got the scrolls in front of me, he just says, anywhere, and boom, he pulls out Romans and he goes to Romans 13. And at that moment, he says, I came alive, in effect. He came to a place which, in a sense, was now beyond rationality and beyond thinking hard, but a sense of a place of quiet peace. I now know who Jesus is for me. And so this morning, I, I just want to really think about three things in a sense. The, the passage in Romans, let me read it all for us at the moment. This was all going to be on the screen, folks. I'm sorry, it, it's just a monologue today, but there you go, no reading. Romans 13, 11, 14. Actually, if you have a Bible with you, if that's still, or you have it on your, screen, on your uh, mobile, Romans 13, 11 to 14. And do this. Understanding the present time, writes Paul to the church at Rome, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with, Lord, with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Augustine hits verse 13. It speaks into his lifestyle. Oh, that's where I've been. And then... The revelation, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. Take on Jesus. See Jesus as the way to, to address yourself in a way which will be not only acceptable to yourself, but clearly acceptable to God. So as I've thought about this this morning, it strikes me that there's three, three movements here. Here's the first movement for Augustine, which is making a radical transformation, a new beginning. Put on Christ. I mean, the language of the scriptures is, is absolutely that. In Galatians, Paul writing the church of Galatians, is so in Christ Jesus, you are also children of God through faith, for you're, all of you were baptised into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. It's the language of the New Testament, particularly through Paul's authorship, that talks about that beginning. There was a time when I wasn't clothed, and there's a time now that I am clothed. There's a moment in the journey where there's a, a decision we make about my sense of who am I and who provides the foundation for my being? Who provides the answers for my questions? Who is that? And many of us in this room know that. Um, I've shared a number of occasions my own journey as a young person who came to that sense of recognising, hearing for me, the sense of Jesus saying, you, Keith, there's two ways and you can choose. It's your choice, Keith. There's my way or there's the other way, but it's your choice. And I, I don't know if I imagine that more strongly now than I did at that moment as a 21, 20-year-old, 22-year-old, but uh, it, for me, it's that moment. Now, that's my moment. That was Augustine's moment. Of course, Augustine, because his influence has an influence on Luther. Luther is an Augustinian monk. Luther struggles with a sense of, I'm trying to do the right thing, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm not getting there. <laughs> he crawls up the steps at the Vatican. 
crawls up the steps because that was one way to, to try and correct what you knew was wrong in his own life. It doesn't work for him. He comes to Romans himself and he discovers in the early chapters of Romans for himself this sense of God's done that work for you. You just have to accept Jesus. And of course move on a little bit more to, to Wesley, also impacted by Augustine. Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Wesley goes to America, an Anglican priest, ministers to North American Indians, comes back to London, sits in a meeting where he says, I'm strangely warmed. The introduction to a commentary on Romans is being read. A different period of time, obviously. But he says suddenly, he realises he doesn't know who Jesus is for him. He knows about Jesus. He's actually gone and taught about Jesus, but he's never come to the place of saying, in Paul's words, I put on Christ. I accept Jesus. The radical moment transformation. I just think for me, I look back now, over now, well, 50 odd years of that journey, and I'm so grateful for the graciousness of God, of his patience with me, and the opportunity to hear again him say, Keith, Keith, come, follow me. Come, follow me. I just encourage all of us in this room today, one, for those of us already know that, recognise the privilege that is for you and for me. The privilege to know that security. The privilege to know the foundation for our well-being. The privilege to know a way forward. And for others of us in the room who maybe don't, have not come to that, I encourage you to be open to the prompting, which we won't recognise at the moment of the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that prompting, that inner prompting. Augustine, take up and read. Keith... You choose which way. The second thing I think comes out of this then is this whole sense of putting on Christ. Uh, there's a sense of, in this passage of Romans, Paul is saying put on Christ. And of course that might ring some bells for us in that sense of where Paul says to us later in Ephesians, put on the whole armour of God. There's a sense, here's God's provision for you and me in Christ for terms of the things you and I are going to face. And so Paul, in talking to the church at Rome, says, as you prepare yourself for the communities you live in, for the pushback you're going to get, because you've adopted a position which is a minority position in terms of lifestyle and beliefs, then be prepared for that. Because there is, <laughs> like so much of our common movies present, particularly the science fiction kind of genre, there's good and there's evil. And you're in a world... And you just can't be aware of that. Now, while there's a sense in which we accept that as a movie, in the, as a movie style, it's interesting in our own lives. I'm not sure, so, so sure we adopt it. But Paul's very sure, and he says, yeah, "Put on the whole armour, put on that helmet of salvation, the breastplate of truthfulness. Do those things." And what I like about this idea of putting on is this sense of what are you and I wearing? I don't know how long you spent this morning getting ready. It's interesting what clothing styles these days. You know, that truism, you know, clothes maketh the man or clothes make the person. Uh, I was with some family members. Uh, we went to the Phantom of the Opera this week. Uh, and what was fascinating for me, it was a great show, but what was fascinating was what people wear to the opera house these days. <laughs> it's really interesting how things change. We had a, a family of about five in their trackies. 
Now, I don't know if they thought it was going to be a, a slow show and they were going to go to sleep. They were just prepared for that. But that was fascinating. Sitting right behind them were a couple dressed in the, the wife or partner in a formal gown and the, and the husband partner in a tuxedo. And it was like, oh, what are we wearing today? What works for us today in, in that way? Well, what works for us as followers of Jesus, hear the words about this putting on is so critical for us in terms of a thinking about. And what I love about this is the sense of this is ongoing, present, continuous. I'm thinking seriously as I was reflecting on this, I'm going to put on the sign over the mirror where I shave in the mornings. Am I putting on Christ today? In fact, this week I found myself, as my wife will know, the area which remains most un, un, what, unconverted in my lifestyle is my driving. Put me behind a wheel of a car and the old Keith pops out pretty quickly. And I was driving to a function just today, as I was thinking, not today, a couple of days, so I was thinking about this and I, I found myself getting quite irritable with someone who was just not driving properly, or at least according to my standard anyway, uh, probably well within the law actually. But, and I found myself saying to myself, Keith, Keith, put on Christ. Now I know Jesus never drove a RAV4 like I do, but it's enough for me to say, hey, what? Let's have a think about how you're operating right here at the moment. And I think that's a challenge for you and for me, those of us who say, yes, I put on Christ. There was a moment I put on Christ. Am I still doing that today? Am I doing that tomorrow? In Romans 13 and 11, and do this understanding the present time, put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of life, says Paul. Put it on. Put it on. Or again in Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, put off. Put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the righteousness of holiness. Or again in Colossians, do not lie to one another, since you were laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self. Yes, like Augustine, there needs to be a moment when I hear God's voice and respond. And then equally like Augustine, but now I need to keep living in that. How am I going to operate this week in the places I'm going to be? To what extent is that going to reflect what is true about me, that Jesus is my Lord and Saviour, or to what extent that's still going to be this battle that we have? And we have it, don't we? I mean, Paul has it. Paul says it so well for us in Romans 7. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. And this I keep doing. What a wretched man that I am. Who can rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Here is Paul writing his treatise to the church at Rome. He's now been a believer for a good period of time with such a mind. And yet he's still in that place that you and I find ourselves. I want to do the right thing. I want to put on Christ, but ah, oh, I do the wrong thing. And I find that just not necessarily liberating, but helpful to recognise I need to realise this is going to be an ongoing battle. There's no perfectionism. We will not be perfect this side of the cross. And of course that's what Augustine, one of the battles for Augustine was that. That's why Augustine said about original sin. And mind you, any of us who have parents, you take this little baby home and within 12 months you're convicted about original sin <laughs> because just because of how this selfish little being behaves. And it's certainly not from us as parents, although Augustine would argue it was through Adam's sin. But that whole sense of that, you see, the, he was arguing against the fact that some people say, no, we don't need a saviour. And these are people in the faith saying you don't need a saviour. This is a British monk saying that, that he's having to, com to combat. 
and saying, no, 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 no. We need someone who walks with us, who shows us the way, who empowers us to live right. And then the third and final thing I think that comes out of this whole sense of putting on is this sense that, that Paul points to in Romans 13, do this understanding the present time. He, he's pointing, in fact, of course, to the sense of, yes, there's an end of the age coming. There is a time coming, and of course it's, that was 2,000 year, years ago and hasn't come yet. But there's a sense of we're in this period between Jesus has come and he will come again. And so Paul is reminding the believers but, that there's this wonderful hope. On Friday morning, I took a phone call from a dear friend, uh, Alison Groves, the wife of Dave Groves. Dave and Alison were, worked with us together in Indonesia in our time there. Dave came home to Australia, became the director of Baptist World Aid Australia and has left a lo lovely legacy in lots of wonderful places. Dave's been sick with cancer for a couple of years and we visited him several times in that and were with him just a few months ago. Dave knew he was dying, uh, but, and we all knew that. But there's still an awful sadness when finally the phone call comes and says, yes, David passed away. He slipped away gently, as Alison said, you know, there was a little bit of pain, but then he just slipped quietly away. <laughs> Death is such a reality, isn't it? And the sad thing is we saw with Dave as his, as his cancer continued to cripple him and robbed him of some of his facilities and some of us in the room know that as we've journeyed with loved ones with dementia or other diseases, a sense of we lose that person, they lose bodily function. I remember saying on this very podium as we had a Thanksgiving service for Mike Robinson who'd been a pastor in the life of this church as, Martin, as he finally succumbed to the ravages of dementia and of uh, Parkinson's disease. And of course we'd earlier stood in the same place as we celebrate the life of his lovely wife who had been constricted by motor neurone disease. What I love about the promises for you and for me that's captured here in the sense of putting on is the sense of the new body. The new body that's his, the Saviour's gift to us subsequently. Yes, my body's disappearing in the sense, hearing's failing, glasses having to get a bit stronger. Yes, facing the reality of that all of us face. So here's the promise. 1 Corinthians 15, 53, Paul says, This perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Here's Paul reminding us that there is a day coming, both for him and for all of us, that this earthly body is gone. So what I need to be sure is that I'm prepared, <laughs> that I'm aware of that. I, I don't know, I, one of that lovely old movies, uh, well, not a lovely movie, interesting movie, Wedding Crashes, 2005, you remember it? With, uh, who was it, uh, Wilson and Vaughan, and they sneak into weddings to take advantage of sort of the, remote, the romantic air that's around weddings for their womanising. Wedding crashes. Well, that was preempted actually by a story Jesus told. You can read it for yourself in Matthew. Matthew 22, particularly, where Jesus tells a parable of the, of the master who's calling people into the wedding feast. And people refuse to come. It's almost, I don't need to come. And, of course, then the, the feast starts to take place. And in verses 11 to 12, uh, Matthew writes this. And when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here with our wedding clothes, friend? 
and the man was speechless. <laughs> there is a sense in which there's a moment coming when this body of mine will be reclothed. It'll be reclothed <laughs> in the gift of a garment of immortality that Christ has prepared for me. There's great assurance in that, isn't there, for us? And a great hope for those of us who our last images and were people who were captured now by a human body who've now been released and are running and walking and enjoying whatever that experience is going to be for all of us who follow Jesus in a subsequent life experience. Augustine, their yeah, great thinker, critically important in the development of Western Christianity and yet ordinary person needed to accept Jesus needed to live in the faith of Jesus right through his journey of life for you and for me putting on Christ what's it means I mean I have a experience a radical transformation I'm going to apply that foundation to my daily life and I'm sure of a hope for the future thank you Augustine <laughs> thank you Jesus let me pray Father, we're overawed again by your love for us. We know who we are. We know our fragility and our failure and our wickedness, our selfishness, our arrogance. But you, you see through all of that. And you see us, you, your sons and daughters who you created and who you provided a way back for through Jesus. And so, Jesus, we lift our voices to you again today. Maybe we want to say for the first time, Yes, Jesus. I'm not sure what it means, but I'm coming home to you. I recognise that I haven't done the things that I should have done, but I thank you that you're covering that for me and you're there welcoming me home with a new garment to wear. And Spirit, I thank you that you remind us who we are in Christ Jesus. And I pray you deepen our sensitivity, alert us to the way you prompt us about our behaviour now that we might live truly more like Jesus and less like our old selves. And Lord, particularly in those areas we struggle the most, I pray you'd give us that energy, that strength and that wisdom. And then we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the life of Dave Groves today. Thank you for the legacies he's left both in our own communities and internationally. Thank you for the way he was open to you. You'd use him in remarkable ways. I want to pray for Alison and the extended family today. But thank you. Thank you for the place where he is now. Thank you for the new body that he now has, no longer constrained and restricted by the illnesses that he carried, but now free, free again. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.